What we do here is go back, 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 back. Hello and welcome to Unfiltered Tips, a podcast where myself, Kath, and my friend Rachel share on the struggles and successes of PhD life in the UK. Each episode will bring you updates from our lives in the lab, as well as discussing a topic relevant to PhD life in more depth. And this week, we're going to have a chat about all the things we wish we could change about academia. Um, but first, let's find out how things are going, because we haven't recorded in a while. So, Rachel, what have you been up to for the past month? <laughs> um... Yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, doing some experiments. I mean, that's more than me. Moved flat. That's in the big, the big thing. Um, so, been getting my uh, my multitasking ability. You know, getting that improved. If that's uh, that's probably the one thing that's improved over this month. <laughs> I can maybe you know do slightly more things at one time than I could before. That's good. I think multitasking is super important. Um, but other than that, yeah, the whole month has just gone behind a blur. Yeah. yeah. How about you? <laughs> uh, I've just written in my notes that Jude has been a complete write-off. So... Comma, oops. oops. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just kind of like suddenly... Uh, I suddenly realised it's July 1st on uh, Thursday and I've done nothing. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, I no. <laughs> I, you may recall last time we recorded that I was unable to go ahead with one of my Fresh versus Frozen sight-off runs. Oh, yeah. Um, I still haven't done that run because um, it's now Fresh versus Double Frozen. It's now Frozen versus Double Frozen, but... Um, Hopefully I'll be able to do that this week. I'm not going to bother. What's the difference between frozen and double frozen? Well, the frozen samples from the because I was I had like a fresh sample I prepped and I added in a frozen sample from before and then I got all the way through to staining in meridian, which is the thing that like does the cell mask. Yeah, I was and then I had to freeze the whole sample down. So that was some of the sample got frozen twice. I have I no idea if it's like even survived or it's going to be super degraded, but I'm hopefully going to be able to run that this week. Um, but I just like, I don't know, I'm just, I've been feeling a little bit at a loose end because I couldn't really do anything about that data set. Um, and then I've also been away. So I have been like, and I've been at a conference. So it's like, I've not had an extended period of time where I've been able to have like cell lines in culture or organized lines in culture and I'm going away again next week like for a full week so I didn't want to get any cells out this week because that would just be stupid because I wouldn't be able to do anything with them so I'm just a bit of a loose end um which isn't ideal because um for my particular funders our second year presentations that we're doing like in September are like really big points of assessment um for us so like that's only like a month and a half away now two two and a half months away I don't know it's very close in like terms of lab time um and I feel like I've not really got enough data for that presentation yet uh so it's a little bit weighing on my mind and I feel like I need to put my foot on the gas a bit um Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, we've been having chats with our our lab about the fact that it's looking likely that we will actually move buildings um, in 2023, which will be in like my final like nine months of my project, Um, which you know means that (laughs) I probably won't be able to do much lab work in that tail end. Okay, yeah, like sensitive machines like mass specs and Helios machines will have like a downtime of at least three months during that move. Yeah, um, yeah. Which means like realistically, I need to have all my experimental stuff done by like the end of next year, which now doesn't feel very far away. Um, yeah, that feeling like the pit in your stomach, like oh, I've got to get a shift on, yeah. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. it only feels really far away because I've not done anything in this whole month, really. Uh, like, and now it feels really close, you know? Um, it, it, like, I guess, you know, <laughs> we'll come to this later, you know? Yeah. Progression isn't linear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, big stuff to come from you. That's all this, that's all this down month means. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, what uh, kind of experiments have you done over the past month then? Like, you don't a know. good old, good old time course. A time That's course. That's what I've been doing. I've been uh, doing some uh, imaging mass cytometry as well. So, uh, done some staining for that, and I will be, I will be doing some metal conjugations hopefully again Maybe. soon. Hopefully, they'll be more successful than my metal conjugations. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hope they work. I hope they work. I hope my conjugations work. Some of the ones I've done before have worked, which is good. Um, I think. I think. It, yeah, but I don't know about it. the one. There's also ones that haven't worked. So yeah. What I understand from um, Adrian and our lab, who does most of our mass conjugations, they work more often than not. It's just yeah, that, like, like I just it's fine. They yeah. didn't work at all. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he he watched me do it like a hawk and he has no idea what I did wrong so I, I do think I do think sometimes well like sometimes I think what the manufacturer says they've given you is not what they've actually given you like sometimes yeah I think, but we measured um, the concentration of the antibody at the start I mean we didn't keep any of the flow throughs where you're supposed to measure the concentrations every time you would like do a spin down but yeah, I know that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like Adrian was like, we never do that. Wait and hope for the end. <laughs> yeah, the manufacturers tell you to do that so that you know exactly which step it went wrong at. Um, oh, okay. Or like, I mean, that makes could, sense. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. But like in practice, it's dumb because then you'd have to use a new collection tube for every single spin. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but um, I spoke to Tony, who runs the Helios machine, and she actually has a bunch of congregations she needs to do. So she was like, you just give me your antibody, I'll do it. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Crazy for Tony. <laughs> I yeah, myself. That's about it. I um, Yeah. That's so um, exciting, though. Will this be, like, your first data set of uh, IMC stuff? Or have you got no, a few before? No, it might be. It's in, like, it's not... Because I'm not. A, <laughs> I don't really know what's going on with your project. So, so a lot of the antibodies are working. Yeah. A lot of the one, the, the important ones aren't. So it's more of a always the way. <laughs> like, do you set up 
parallel histology sections? No, so normally I just stay in the tissue section, but you can, you actually can. So you can actually label an antibody with a fluorescent marker and a metal tag. So like on the IF, can you see like CD3 staining or whatever it is? If you wanted to, yes, yeah. As in, yeah. I mean, like, CD3 is one of the ones that works, yeah. Okay, well, I don't really know what, I don't know what immune cells have on them. That's the only one I know. <laughs> I only know about tumor cells. <laughs> and a very specific niche of knowledge. Like, you can't make me go outside it. Eh? Immune cells have lots of things on them, Kath. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a very good point I mean I don't even know everything immune cells have on them so <laughs> maybe one day in many many a year yeah I guess my question is like are you getting no signal are you getting no signal because there's no cell or are you getting no signal because there's no antibody staining ah I mean that's good question uh, it's just I something to think about I, I think the cells are there I think it's the antibodies so they're not very good Okay. That's a short answer to your question. I feel like we've done it. We went a long way around from getting to the Ralston. We went questions. on a journey there, didn't we? Sorry about <laughs> that. It's been a long day. Yeah, the listeners will be it's like, this is so day. boring. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, <laughs> if you're still with us after that. <laughs> Sorry for the specifics. We haven't spoken in a while. Um, <laughs> I, one thing I did want to uh, also say is I went to the International Student Cancer Conference uh this past week and that was super fun um it was really actually lovely to see work that other PhD students are doing it made me feel less behind than I thought I was um nice uh even though now I feel behind again you know the swings and roundabouts of PhD life you're like oh I feel supported nah I'm drowning again um (laughs) (laughs) that's on a you know multiple times a day (laughs) yeah um I did want to mention that there were some career stuff that was at this event that um, were particularly illuminating for me because I'm like <laughs> aware of the abyss that is coming this for is me. Very, I enjoyed I enjoyed hearing about these because they were they were super, super useful. I just like I hearing your perspective. Yeah, I decided that I do not want to do medical writing. Um, that's one for sure. thing rolled off the list. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't learn what I wanted to do from any of these seminars, but I learned what I didn't want to do, which was medical writing, and definitely reaffirmed my idea that I don't want to be a doctor because one of the people was like, an, like an academic clinician, and I was like, no, thank you for clinician stuff. I was like, made the right choice when I was younger. I mean, um, computers instead. Yeah, and there was a lady that did bioinformatics stuff um she now works for like a startup in Cambridge but I like wasn't really enthralled by her career path either so mm. I don't know like I always kind of thought I'd want to do bioinformatics but maybe just not the way that she went about doing it or the things she focuses on but mm. I don't know so the answer is I'm no closer to knowing what I want to do but closer to knowing what I don't want to do which is medical writing because it's very client focused, doing things for other people, and not, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I sound really selfish. <laughs> it's not like you don't do things for other people. Like I should just have you do things for other people. <laughs> you just I just don't don't, write. Just, you don't want to write for other people. I don't want to attend the conference for a big pharma company 
so that I can send them crib notes on what happened on that conference so they don't have to attend, you know? I just, it just doesn't seem like my vibe. <laughs> there we go, there we go. Well, one thing rolled off the list for you then. Okay, so today we wanted to have a chat about some of the things we wish were different in academia that we'd like to change um, because we've been feeling a little bit uh, down about it all recently. I don't know if you would agree with that, Rachel. Um, uh, yep. <laughs> we just wanted a bit of an opportunity to share like our hopes and dreams for the future of academia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're just going to go like bounce backwards and forwards saying some of the things we... Not even foolish, so we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our hopeful youth um, that we're in. We're going to bounce back and forth with some of the things we want to change. Um, and then we're going to go and we're going to read some of the suggestions we got from our Twitter followers. So a little bit of fan interaction uh, today. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> how, much did, uh, how, much, how much money did you buy then, Catherine? <laughs> I did not give them any money. These are... <laughs> These are responses we got purely from their own like interest and desire to also see academia change. A, a noble, a noble, a noble cause. A noble endeavour, yeah. Rachel, um, can you um, kick us off with uh, your first thing that you kind of wish would change about academia? Yeah, of course. Um so what that my my first one I've got written down um is kind of more incentives to invest in students um mm-hmm. as in and I mean that in, in the context of I think it comes from a place of you know the pressure to get papers published you know it's it's hard to find the time to really invest in students and train them well mm-hmm. If you know you need to, if you're under you know pressure to get some papers published, so particularly I guess for newly established groups and stuff, right? Um, so I think you know training people and training students and giving them uh, extra skills, like I think is is just a really a really good thing to do. And I think it's 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 really it's amazing as a student to have those people put that time into you. Like, I know what I'll remember in four years' time. Mm-hmm. And the people who I remember are, like, you know, the kind, like, postdocs, the kind older PhD students who actually put time and effort into helping me understand things and stuff or get a protocol right and, and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, and I think potentially, you know, it's all very well sort of taking students, but also... I think people who are trained, people who are taking students need to kind of, you know, be aware or just have a think about, okay, how can this, this needs to benefit us? Like that they do need to, you know, uh, like it, it would just, it, I think loads of students would benefit from like having just a, some investment in them in terms of like, I think that could change someone's outlook on academia completely. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that could like yeah, I think that could come into just how labs are structured. I think 
given the way that we measure lab output, like you mentioned it, but like papers are a key way of measuring like lab output and lab success. And like, if you're thinking about the cheapest way for a PI to get a bunch of papers, it's to have a bunch of PhD students because they cost less money in terms of, you know, how much salary you're giving them. Uh, um, and they can yeah, train exactly. each other. They can train each other. Um, <laughs> muddle you know, through. Muddle through <laughs> together. Um, and ultimately, you'll still get papers out. Because um, I think I come from a slightly different environment where, like, actually training's been kind of at the forefront from really early on. Like, uh, you know, get training from the other students and other postdocs in my lab to get outside training. Uh like I'm hoping to go on some computational training courses that are like available. And I think like in my lab, there's quite a strong emphasis on training. At least I've had that experience, but I think there could be more. And um, we were discussing even in our group, maybe putting together a little like training program in anticipation of new students coming into our lab and like divvying up what, what each of us can teach the new students how to do things where things are yeah well that's really, so it's really not good. yeah so it's not all on one person like even I have skills that I could teach a new student yeah. um so I think like having that environment where like learning a new skill for the sake of learning the skill is like as important and viewed as as like viewed as important as getting data for your project I think like yeah because ultimately like a PhD is a training program like exactly yeah but it doesn't feel like that a lot of the time um yeah it doesn't and um I guess I think one thing <laughs> I also think it depends on how proactive I think I'm quite conscious of like skills that I want to learn and also mm. now maybe slightly better at identifying kind of yeah okay does someone have that skill can I ask them mm -hmm. but um to, to help like can I ask them to teach me that skill or whatever um but yeah I think I don't know I just that currently I guess labs get money for taking students you know maybe mm -hmm. put money from the university but like that doesn't equate to necessarily like a like a student feeling like they've come out of something feeling like oh actually you know what I learned something there and yeah. I have yeah so I think I don't know um I, I want yeah I don't know but then I think also partly that it kind of has to do with the fact that like I guess it depends on what uni you went to as well I don't know yeah. like for example the university I went to there I say had far less of a practical element to it compared to to you yeah. like right so that's like another another thing um mm -hmm. so I, I don't know it's entirely context dependent right I guess yeah I think so at the end of the day yeah yeah it is but I think also that there is a culture within academia that and we haven't necessarily written this down but like that you'll just figure it out like you don't need the training you can just figure it out like yeah and that's just not why is it like it's just wasting a bunch of time and money on like mistakes and errors that could have been avoided if someone had actually trained you proficiently but I think also it breeds uh opportunity for research misconduct and 
like unethical research practices like if you're not properly trained then like you're not going to know when you're doing something wrong or um like be able to spot errors or like yeah which is one of my biggest fears actually like you might have done something fundamentally wrong with the way that you're managing a piece of kit or software that's putting in errors leading you to make the wrong conclusions and then you're like but you didn't know like proper training is really really important to research integrity that Um, was one of the that's such a good point um because that that was one of my biggest fears I would say before starting PhD the fact that I would be doing stuff wrong Mm. unknowingly yeah there's a friend of mine who's like my friend of mine who's a postdoc now like is afraid to do anything like with R or like Python because they're afraid they're gonna code it wrong and then just gonna get complete junk out and no one's gonna like she's not gonna know any better um so I think yeah I think it's a big aspect and I I think it is like training is a massively overlooked issue so Good uh, I do mean that at like yeah. the undergraduate level as well. I think it's lacking at yeah. all levels. I would exactly. say it's lacking at all yeah, levels. Yeah, because um, I mean, one of our Twitter responses we can read out earlier it also suggests it's lacking at the PI level. So, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think yeah, it's a whole yeah. academia problem, not emphasizing training. Like, the kind of figure it out yourself. Yeah. And it, it, and it comes, it, it's not even like, that comes from also kind of, you know, for example, like with with um, the, the pandemic and everything and like mm. funding extensions and, yeah. and some, like PIs had to just figure out how they were going to kind of, what they were going to do because yeah. like, <laughs> you know, which students were allowed extensions, which students like were in second year and so they're, maybe they're, extensions they didn't know about what, or whether they'd get them or not for quite a while like yeah um, you know so it even comes from like funding bodies as well like it's not it's it's a top-down thing yeah I think really or at least I don't know I might be it seems that way to me I don't know I might be wrong there but yeah I guess this feels like it leads into one of my points that I've written down like which is my third point I wrote down was like about the only measure of productivity being paper output or it feels like that and I think as long as the training programs that you've done or what you're trained in is not like seen as a hireable skill or set then it's actually like why invest in research like training when like ultimately like me doing that training course isn't going to get me my next job it's whatever paper I get out of that that's going to get me my next job um yeah and so it's like how do we begin to like reorientate academic cvs around something other than like the papers you've got um yeah. i think that's beginning to happen but it yeah. still feels a little bit outside the norm um like i think it's changing more here in europe and in the uk than it is in the u.s um, okay yeah we we have a few more like open access um kind of expectations and requirements in place like the welcome trust expects you to publish in an open access journal um and because they're requesting that of you then that means that they know they can't hire people based off papers they've got in non-open access journals you know yeah so, yeah um and i know that there's a there's a kind of beginning to look at like any code you've got published on like GitHub or anything. 
yeah like another aspect of um you know like what you have on your cv that's important that's not a paper but I think like maybe being able to say like I've been trained in these skills or I can train someone in these skills I think that would be like I don't know if if I was a PI (laughs) and someone had on their CV like (laughs) I am able to effectively train people in how to do like site off because I got and give evidence uh, when they've trained other people like that's a massive valuable skill that like you wouldn't necessarily know about someone like I don't know I think it's it's a aspect of our our work and our skill set that's being undervalued within academia I think um yeah and the reality is like you learn something and you do it the way the person who showed you how to do it does it right like yeah yeah and it's kind of it just shows you how integral like the passing on of knowledge is and mm-hmm. yeah I don't know and the passing on of knowledge doesn't just happen through the method sections of papers <laughs> yeah tell me about it yeah how many <laughs> how many method sections have we read like I read method sections in papers that do the same technique that I do in the lab and like the technique seems unrecognizable yeah in the method section yeah like I don't quite know how you're supposed to learn anything from method sections well there, there's also I mean yeah, yeah they're, they're poorly written yeah at the best that is time, a separate so let's issue be honest. Yeah. that's a whole different issue yeah I mean trying to work out what on earth like people have actually done from a method section is <laughs> yeah, yeah a hot mess, um, a hot mess. <laughs> but a hot mess ultimately indeed. yeah you're not learning any new skills from that you're learning it from the postdoc down the road, like down the hall. Yeah. Um, but then that postdoc down the hall isn't going to gain any career points because they taught five people how to do a technique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, I like sometimes, like it's yeah, it's it's kind of very easy to kind of, I guess, you're like, oh, this person has taken time out of their their work to show me how yeah. to do something. Like there is no, there are no. Yeah, like you say, there's no career points for this for this postdoc for teaching. Yeah, if anything, it's negative career points because they didn't spend all that time working on their own paper. So it's like, yeah, I think yeah, these the, that idea of not not being training, not investing in training, but then also like not having the measurement of that as a way of like helping someone move up the career ladder. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah I think they come hand in hand. Um, Okay, um, we've covered one of each of us. Rachel, do you want to go for another one? I know they have helpfully linked, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my second one, guidance and training, navigating the world training. of academia, both when you're applying for a PhD mm. and, you know, onwards from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's so true. Um, I think it's just like, I don't know, uh, Particularly as in my case, I I didn't know, no, like no one in my family is an academic. I'm I'm the only one mm-hmm. doing a PhD in my like extended family. Like no one else. Yeah, I don't really know any other part. Like for instance, like you, like were the only person that I knew in Manchester. Yeah, PhD before, uh, before I moved. So um, early exposure to kind of how things work, I think, is actually really important, and I. I think sort of 
openness in in labs that like you know if a student is in your lab I'm like just like actually including them in in stuff um mm-hmm. I think it all helps with like early exposure and I think not necessarily ex- <laughs> it's really hard but I think being aware that not everyone finds it easy to come and ask for advice on on things necessarily mm-hmm. like not every uh yeah, I think not. Not, not every prospective sh- student is going to be forthcoming in what they want to know, and um, it's going to be like, oh, can I ask a specific question about this or whatever? Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, so I think early exposure to just kind of yeah, navigating mm-hmm. that that kind of world. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think. I don't know. It's the classic. Like, you have no idea what a PhD is going to be like until you're in one. Mm-hmm. um and I don't know necessarily know if it should be like that but that's kind of how it is um yeah mm. like I think I had ideas and like I, I knew PhD students going into my PhD and I thought I'd be fine and then it was like hit you like hit me like a ton of bricks that it was like really hard <laughs> yeah. um, and it's just I don't know I don't know like I, I agree with you that there should be like more transparency about the difficulties of doing an academic like a further academic degree or like a postdoc or because like even now I don't like I'm a PhD student but I don't really know what doing a postdoc entails yeah um, and how much more responsibility you have as a postdoc yeah exactly um, yeah I just know that's the next step so like it's kind of like you know what the next steps are, but you don't know what they are, what they really are. And like, I get the same vibe that it's the same transitioning from postdoc to junior PI because you don't get training on like mentorship or like how to or what what taking on a PhD student actually entails and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah so yeah. I think like I don't know. I think yeah, like more transparency across the career pipeline, and I think maybe universities could do more because like ultimately universities are academic institutions and the vast number of I mean unless you're an undergraduate research university like Manchester where there's like the, the undergraduates outweigh everybody else but like lots of universities are the way around you know where yeah <laughs> the research staff and research students are like a big cohort of the institute and they're kind of generally invisible to undergrads um, unless they're yeah. like TAing or something. Yeah. Um, but you don't, I think the universities could be way more open even with their undergraduates about what it means to like be a university academic in any field, um, not just in biology, but like in any field. And maybe that would encourage more first generation researchers to pursue the career. Um, because they knew what it would entail yeah or just to have more confidence <laughs> that they can that they know what they're doing yeah because I think actually like it's not a traditional job career trajectory like it's hard to explain to our parents what we do they don't really understand <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like, not, not much of an idea <laughs> like it doesn't seem like like it's easy to explain what you do if you're a doctor or if you're in marketing or if you're I mean, to an extent, I guess, but like, do you know? What, do you know? What I got asked by my parents the other day. Oh, so, so you plan your experiments? 
yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Do you plan your experiment? Yeah, I do. I do. I do like label my tubes and plan what I'm going to do the day before. <laughs> Sometimes even longer, you know. Yeah. Um. But I think that 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 is exactly like the the there's yeah the the general like the actual concept that like yeah people don't really understand it right. It's not on it. Yeah, it's not a traditional. Like the academy is a black box that, like, unless you're in it, you don't really know, and even when you're in it, you don't really know. So, <laughs> I think like there could be a lot of work done by universities to explain to even their own undergraduate students what your post, what the postgrads are doing, what the PIs are doing, like, um, yeah, and all of that. So, I really like that one. I think I wish that was a bit different. Um, yeah just like just... transparency and just like at all levels yeah. you know yeah um I think yeah like, I think um also just in in labs in general like you know transparency like this paper's been submitted here this person's oh, yeah. on this project this person's been this paper's been rejected from here so we're going to submit it like transparency on, on just all that kind of stuff is just really helpful so mm. everyone so, so students can get that early exposure and stuff. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, because I, I think, like, I mean, we could talk about this sort of thing since we're another point I'm going to make, but, like, just, like, being able to watch someone else go through the paper publication process, like, means that you know what's coming when you do it yourself. Why wouldn't, like, I feel like the extra transparency of being able to see that happen and know the process yeah. inside out, know what to expect, maybe that would, like get rid of a lot of frustrations um yeah I mean there's loads we could change about the publication system but for starters I'd like to know how it works a bit better uh, yeah um yeah all I know at the moment is you write something and then it gets reviewed and then you <laughs> do the reviewers comments and then you send it back and then it gets reviewed again and then you do the reviewers comments and then it gets sent back and then maybe it gets yeah. published like yeah but yeah. like what that actually entails really and how long that's taken across my lab even just in my lab no idea um yeah so I think that's a really good one in transparency within your lab as well um should I go with my one of my next ones go for it um so I've put the expectation to move institutes cities regions countries every kind of three four years um until you're on a tenure track position or whatever like this is a big sticking point for me like I've been in Manchester for my undergraduate and now my postgraduate so like my time in Manchester is coming to an end if I want to stay in academia um and I don't really like that I don't want to have to move um to stay in this job I don't want to have to uproot my family um to stay in this job um yeah as you know there's statistically higher retention of women in London than in academia than there is anywhere else in this country and that's because you can move between institutes very easily in London without having to move your family yeah um, that really can't easy. yeah you can't replicate that anywhere else in the UK but there's like you know six or seven different universities in London you could do that within um, yeah uh so <laughs> but not that I want to move to London I don't want to have to do that so <laughs> I just 
<laughs> you know, it just really bothers me. And I mean, yeah, you shouldn't have to move if you don't want to. You shouldn't feel like you have to move just to have a chance at staying in the career that you want to stay in. Like, it's yeah. not the expectation that you kind of you need to find out how different institutes work and everything. And like, like I think that's a fair expectation. But like, I think about the vast majority of my lab are like, like all from like outside the UK, um, and they've all moved here and they've all come with their like partners, and some of them actually haven't come with their partners. And then it's like, I just like don't, I don't know. It just no part of me wants to be uprooting my partner and having having to force them to find new jobs every three years because our academic contracts are really short. I guess that's my other bugbear. Academic contracts are really short. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's this? Go into science, they said. You'd have job security, they said. Like, oh, what a joke. What a It'll joke. It'll be fun and challenging, um, <laughs> yeah, they said. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think... I think it hits women especially hard, this expectation to move, but I know that it's hitting men more as they're taking on more family leave and family responsibilities. Um, like, it's just not ideal, really, is it? Um, yeah, it's not ideal to, like, when you have other people to to think about and, and everything, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just one of my things I wish it was different. I don't really think there's much more we can say on that. I don't know how much it's changing. I almost feel like it's getting a bit worse for postdocs. I don't know though. Um, yeah. Like I, I think I think you can speak to people that are currently like PIs that have been PIs for ages, and they some of the people I interviewed with for PhDs in Manchester had done their entire academic careers in Manchester. But, like, you couldn't do that now. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Here especially, there is an expectation you'll do a stint in the US, I think. I think yeah. that expectation's quite high. I don't um, know why that is, but, like, yeah. What, what, it's just, I, I, it's, again, this is me, like, showing my naivety here. Like, mm. I knew it was a thing, but, like, mm. why it's a thing I have no comprehension of. I'm not really sure. So maybe they're more academically rigorous, or they think they are, but <laughs> they have more what I call brand name institutions. Okay. Like, you know, like Harvard, MIT, Mount Sinai, Johns Hopkins, like the brand name institutions that are like known for their research. Like mm. um, then like I think on the international stage, if you think about research being done in the UK people only really think about Oxbridge I guess and maybe some London hospitals yeah true but then like Europe's a bit different I think I don't know but I think it's just hard like I've done a stint in the US I don't really have any interest in doing any more out time out there but uh <laughs> I'm not gonna go stop you Rachel live your dreams go to New York <laughs> I'm not sh- I'm sure that's in my dreams. I I I feel like uh, Australia is calling me at the moment. Is it calling you? Yeah, that's fair. I think like um, because that is far. So I don't know. You know, that's years down the line. Yeah, I that's by no means set. 
Yeah. If I had to move countries, I'd be willing to go to Europe, potentially. But if only if I had to. And I don't think I'll have to. (laughs) I don't know. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to make sure I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll be fine. I reckon you will be. Yeah. Um, all right, Rachel, you have one more here, which I really like. Um, and I wish I'd thought of myself. But, uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've just got, um, yeah, less kind of le- less competition, kind of just more emphasis on collaboration. And I say this because the vaccine, for example, coronavirus vaccine has been sped through like clinical trials have been done with amazing efficiency and it's entirely due to the fact that there's been a massive team effort the world over to mm-hmm. to get them out and like just imagine how many things we could find out if there wasn't uh if people could always just be like happy to help for the sake of like discovering something and I don't know like you want to play yeah. on team science <laughs> yeah team science I'm all for team science yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a phrase we invoke if you do something a little bit selfish in the lab it's like come on you got to play for team science here <laughs> is it is it okay <laughs> just remember like, what team you're on <laughs> yeah but that's a good it's a good point you know because like I think it can be quite clinical at times right mm-hmm. you know you scratch my back I'll scratch yours or whatever or like I can do something for you and you can provide me with this so therefore we'll work together. Like, I don't know it would just be I think I'm not sure yes. that fosters like like sure that fosters good teamwork and stuff but like I don't know it's I don't know maybe I'm just like Let's just all be friends. It's <laughs> yeah, having a very hippie. Maybe I'm just science, yeah. very like, yeah. Probably... I don't know. I feel like that sort of collaboration is fine. Like, I guess my issue with the competitiveness of science is like trying to carve out a niche for your group. And then, you know, you're basically like, I don't know. I feel like, if you think about like the specific disease that you work on or something, then it's like you're, it doesn't feel like you're solving the problem of that disease with other labs that work on that same thing. It feels like you're competing with mm. other labs that work on the same thing as you. Um, yeah. And ultimately like the labs that are going to win that race, the labs that are the best funded labs and they don't yeah. necessarily have the best people in, but like, I don't know why, I think it just frustrates me at that point where I'm just like, oh, it'd be more fun if, you know, like, oh, you found other labs that worked on the same thing as you and you were able to generate international, like, projects that kind of worked more multidisciplinary, like, more multi-teamed. And, like, rather than saying, like, ah, they're the people closest in niche to me, so they're my biggest competition. They're close in niche to you. That means you're probably thinking about the same problem. So why not think about it together? Um, yeah, exactly. No, I think what yours. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. 
you said oh, it much yeah. better than I could ever say <laughs> like ultimately it's ultimately it's a business though I think that's the problem oh we just need to take the money out of science Rachel it would all be solved if it wasn't like you know so capitalist <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean that's the thing science the business is it yeah but it's run like one yeah yeah and that's essentially what you're doing when you're running a lab, right? It's kind of running a business in a way. Yeah, 100%. Like you're getting money in. You need to produce an output, i.e. novel papers, novel findings. Um, and then, well, I do wonder how much our like current structure of publication, um, which was devised by Rupert Murdoch and Margaret Thatcher. I've been reading about this. It's really interesting. They're the ones who thought that academic journals could be run a bit more like uh subscription newspapers um and they could use to generate more money and put more money into research which I think you know it works in some ways like we always want more money in research but then you know it's it is tricky like money makes the world go round but then it does encourage competition over collaboration yeah um know i wonder if the evolutionary biologists will have something to say apparently they've been discovering that collaboration is as much as an important force in evolution than uh, competition has been so wow maybe their findings could be extrapolated back into how we run academia yes Uh, well (laughs) we can dream we can dream can't we let's hear right back (laughs) yeah that's what i say it's I just think it's well, I it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like like this year has shown that how much science can impact society, right? In a, yeah. a total totally beneficial way, way yeah. totally beneficial way. And I just think like if this was extended to you know, we just discover so much of it if it if it you know it didn't take a pandemic for everyone to kind of <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if if we all work together to solve problems, anyway, uh, like I just think a lot of good would happen. Yeah, I think they like even in you know the development of the COVID vaccines, we still see that uh, element of competition playing out though. Like, yeah, to be don't fair, you think like yeah, like when did the you watch the Horizon vac- documentary on it? That was on. I haven't. Yeah, it's on my to watch list. It's but, really good. <laughs> but I just even think about when the first like clinical trial data was being released and like they were like oh Pfizer has this level of efficacy Moderna has this level of efficacy AstraZeneca has this level and it was a bit lower AstraZeneca's stock despite having developed a perfectly viable parcel the chest <laughs> vaccine went down after they released their <laughs> clinical trial data because it wasn't like competing with the other two vaccine tra- trials that had already been released despite the fact that he had passed WHO's initial get, they would say that they were happy to have any vaccine that was 50% effective or more. Okay. So like, to put that into context, I think AstraZeneca's was like 80%, 75 to 80%. So... And the others were 90, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So like, it was just like, instead of like the response being like, oh, great, we've got three amazing vaccines. It was oh, we've got two amazing vaccines and one slightly less amazing vaccine. And it was like, (laughs) ah! And then, you know, the unwillingness of certain companies to want to share how these vaccines are made 
comes under the competition side of it, I think. Like, yeah. Um, so I think even in moments where science has been at its most collaborative and its most like amazing in the speed at which it's helped the world, it's still being driven by a competition mindset. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So I take it back. I think it's, <laughs> sort of, it's more, more the sort of media fostering the, yeah, the competition mindset, I guess. But um... I have one more, but we could leave it. No, share, share away. Well, we do want to do a broader discussion about publications, um, <laughs> but I'll give you a tidbit of what that might be like. Uh, so my uh, final thing I wished I could change about academia was the sheer amount of work expected in a single publication these days, um, which particularly for high impact journals is, as far as I'm concerned, way beyond the scope of a three or four year PhD that we do in here in the UK. Um, like. I know other countries have longer PhD programs, so they might be able to get one of these papers out in that time. And uh, they require the publication of a paper, for example, or two or three. Um, here in the UK, we're fortunate not to have that like publication requirement. But at the same time, it just really bugs me how much work goes into a paper these days. And like, even when I'm reading papers from like 2005, I'm just like, this is it. This is all the figures. Where's where's the twenty seven supplementary figures? Where's the single cell RNAc? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but where's yeah, I, I'm like, yeah. We, we've been talking about this a bit in our lab, but like, it's it's kind of a vicious cycle in that like the people that are demanding more from papers are ourselves, like, because scientific papers are reviewed by other scientists. And so you as an other <laughs> scientist are demanding more of your fellow scientists who then demand more in turn when it comes to them being on the other side of reviews. So it's like, well, haha, I had to do this much for my revisions. So let me type away. <laughs> um, so it's, it's peer review the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think... No, it's not. It's not. What, I'm joking. It's not. You know, you know well, what? Full circle. Full circle. It just needs to be all the way back to better training on how to peer review a paper. Better, yeah, full circle back to but yeah. Absolutely. We'll leave it there. It's a nice neat tie-in. <laughs> We're gonna go to Twitter now because we've got some great responses. I tweeted out earlier today. Um I'm sure there's plenty of things you wish you could change about academia. If you had to pick just one, what would it be? We got some great responses. Um so some of which already line up with what we had already said. So um yeah, Healthy Science Life uh, replied to us saying that uh, academia should expect us to take care of our mental health rather than pushing us to burnout. Um, I, and that they would also like to see a change in the way that PIs are selected, adding mentoring courses and teaching them how to actually be a PI. Uh, we already covered that first part, a little, the second part a little bit, the training on how to be a PI. I like that selection based on mentoring courses. I think that tracks what we were saying about having training be an important productivity output um yeah and I think the first bit on they say on taking care of mental health I think I definitely felt that last year like there was a pull between I needed to do less work just to maintain mental health but I felt really guilty about like not being productive in the lab so um Mm. if it could be seen as just as valuable to take care of your mental health 
that would be great but I think that might not be a problem exclusive to academia yeah we've got someone now saying how success is measured we talked about that a lot oh this is interesting getting paid and recognized for all the free work we do such as reviewing papers um very good yeah again something you've mentioned mm -hmm. today we don't get trained for yeah you don't get trained for that we also don't get paid for doing that i think there might be i think like that always the argument's been in terms of paying paying reviewers has always been like oh well they might be paid off um to give favorable reviews but like if the journal is paying them like mm. i don't know like i think it's i think it's fair to say like a lot of uh training or teaching that i know like PhD students in other countries have to do teaching and training as part of their degrees and they're not always paid for that work so I think that's an agreement like an increase in pay would be good I think even PhD students in the UK get paid quite little compared to what their skill set is especially by the end of their four years like in no other job do you stay on the same pay scale for the first four years of that job like straight out of uni like yeah. I think it would be nice if there was a bit more of a sliding pay scale in the UK at least. Um, so I found one particularly interesting that we haven't, we haven't necessarily touched on much. It was um, Claire said, uh, unthinking the reliance on committees and processes that see writing outputs um, instead of people and passion. So talking a little bit about what we said with productivity output but just specifically for how you choose and appoint people I guess in panel discussions um no I I agree I agree I think um yeah it's 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 tricky because that's what yeah like committees I guess look for like hard stuff that's on paper that's tangible to like mm -hmm. and I think a lot of a lot of the work that I guess comes under people and passion is like stuff that is not necessarily as tangible, right? It comes mm. up to like, you know, that paper that came out uh, saying that, oh, like women should get themselves a male mentor. Yeah, yeah. Nature Commons paper that was retracted. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously the vast majority, like one big thing was like, okay, measuring mentorship, really hard thing to do. Yeah, like, yeah. For example, how do you quantify, you know, like how do you quantify what really actually is mentorship yeah, is often those like discussions like oh well, there's often those discussions that you know don't necessarily get recorded put down on paper or whatever I don't know like, oh, yeah yeah, yeah exactly. so yeah it's it's hard because that kind of stuff isn't as tangible yet counts for so much maybe it's um it sounds this is like a really dumb idea maybe but like requiring your reference having a reference not just from your previous boss but like from a previous colleague yeah maybe like yeah. I don't know like maybe that would give a more I don't know have another view on like if I was to write a reference for like a postdoc in my lab as like a additional reference to what they like in the workplace like that shows something completely different than what my boss says about them and gives a tangible way of maybe measuring. 
I don't know. That's just I'm just thinking out loud. Like I'm gonna ever have any say over how hiring procedures work. Um, but yeah, no, I think I, I actually that would be super interesting. I think that's really, really a really cool idea. I don't know. I don't know. Um, this I thought was a really good one. This is from Thinker Scientist. Um, I would abolish or heavily redesign the concept and existence of tenure in favour of funding early career researchers and young PIs coming from more diverse backgrounds. Um, and they're also in the field of life sciences. So um, I guess tenure is basically when you have a guaranteed like indefinite job at an institute heading up like a group or position or a teaching position. Um, so you've basically got a little bit of annual guaranteed funding from a particular institute. Um, so I guess what Thinker Science is recommending is or suggesting or that they wish they could change would be that like a big chunk of that funding would maybe move away from constantly uh, funding kind of older academics and put that into younger and newer academics, which as we know, tend to be more diverse. For sure, yeah. That's a really good point. And I think it comes into some of the things we've been discussing in our diversity episodes. So you can go back and listen to any of those um, <laughs> to see what we uh, have. I think we had thoughts about that. Um, we're hoping to do a few more of them in the future. Um, yeah, yeah. more to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one I wanted to read out um, was from Chutzpah Consulting, which said... Uh, the idea that Western Eurocentric way of doing things is the only way, um, which gave me a lot of pause and think moment because obviously we both grew up in the UK, we were in Western science cultures um, and there is a lot of dismissal and ignorance and just straight up like ignoring the legacy and history of scientific discovery um, in Asia, in the Middle East, um, you know, and I think, I think it'd be even just as a publication bias. All the journal, major journal houses, are based in the US. Uh, mm. There's an English language bias. We don't really yeah. see publications in anything other than English. Um, yep. So, I think that's a good one for yeah. everyone to think about. Um, Right, that's all from Twitter. Thank you for <laughs> responding to my tweets. Um, I really love reading all of those responses. Um, do give us a follow. We're at Unfiltered Tips. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Um, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you did, why not share it with someone else who you also might think would like to listen to it? <laughs> or a friend. <laughs> Or a friend. Or a stranger. You know what? Share it with a stranger. Go for it. Um, Keep letting us know what you want to see change in academia on Twitter at Unfiltered Tips or you can email us at um, unfilteredtipspod at gmail.com. Our sound production and design is by Josh Keeper. And thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye. What we do here is go back, 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 back.